Welcome to a new episode of the GRP Report podcast. This time we continue our conversation with legendary show director Katie Harris. We're going to be talking about creating hit show Mickey and the Magician, but also her work abroad from Disney World to Hong Kong and her new career with Carnival Cruises. But we start with Christmas. Katie has worked on so many Christmas seasons and she is going to tell us all about them. Talking about Christmas, um, you've worked on uh, a few or a lot of um, Christmas seasons at Disney Paris. What's the creative process? When do you start thinking about what's going to happen at Christmas? What time of the year is it? Literally, as soon as it ends, does it start up again? And what, what what's the kind of process and how how Christmas comes about at Disney Paris? Yeah, Christmas normally. Um, so when we would finish a season, we would review, you know, what worked, what we would like to change, what needs a refresh, um, and and just kind of leave it there for maybe a month or two um, so that we would have some forward planning. And, you know, generally our, our planning is done three to five years ahead. So we always have a three to five year plan of the evolution of the seasons. Um, now that changes, you know, if I decide today what we're going to do in five years, it's not necessarily exactly what will happen. You know, in year two, we might deviate, but we still have that kind of five year plan ahead of us. Um, so Christmas generally picks up again in about May, I would say April, May time, where we really start thinking about what do we want to do? Um, and again, depending on the scale of the project, if we want to do a new Christmas parade, obviously it's much earlier than that. Um, if we want to do a new fireworks show, then it could be, you know, we start thinking about it June, July. If we want to do a new uh, Christmas tree that took, you know, a year and a half to develop. Um, but we start really pulling the pieces of the season together in about April, May, so that I would say by June, we know what that program is going to be. Um, and then July, we would do any recording of music or, you know, uh, character um, recordings that we would need to do, um, any specific kind of casting research that we would need to do or any pre-production work. And then honestly, we would start rehearsals for Christmas. Um, we would open Halloween, like the beginning of October, and about a week later, we'd start rehearsals. Actually, no... Yeah, we would start Halloween generally actually earlier in September. Um, we would start rehearsals for Christmas, like late September, beginning of October. Yeah, yes. So, and invariably, you know, from July onwards, if you're working on the Christmas season, you are living Christmas, <laughs> basically. You are living Christmas from July right through to the opening in November. Um, and then by the time you get to Christmas, you're like, oh, I'm done with Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's what do you mean it's only the beginning of november no christmas is gone um but yeah so it's uh it is quite an early process and again you know quite often with christmas it's not we don't change the whole season out every single year there are little bits that change and evolve every year um and and also things that you know like the christmas parade that we started with a certain number of floats and then every year we would add in new floats so that we knew that it would take three or four years to get it to the scale that we wanted it to get to um but we established that we would build on it year after year so there's a lot of forward planning that goes into the seasons that way 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember being in, again, in Abbey Road recording Christmas music in July and, and just having one of those moments. It's like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> like so many, you know, I, I remember having those when we were doing Animagique and it was, it was the second version of Animagique and we were recording Donald and Donald was in California and it was two o'clock in the morning and I was on the session on the telephone uh and you know I was like I just sat there and I was talking to Donald on the phone and he was quacking at me and I just remember thinking if my neighbors could see me now you know I was in in the outskirts of, of Paris it's like they they wouldn't understand what I was doing you know they really wouldn't this is just really kind of strange and cool and and unusual and unique and and I was I just couldn't really fathom how they could really even have a clue that that's what I was doing you know next door to them in the apartment um so yeah all sorts of those experiences that that you think well Christmas in July yeah that's normal it's Christmas in July like as as a as a guest uh, christmas is one of the times of the year even today where there's like so much going on if it's entertainment or parades or characters or there's like a lot going on do you, is there anything that you've worked on that kind of sticks out as your favorite thing that you've done uh, for christmas season or i think that working with the new christmas tree was was fun um just in as much as it had so much scope to it um, and, you know, learning what the technology could really do uh, as far as the effects and the timing. And I remember spending hours with the, with the lighting programmer going on one of the spirals of the light that I really wanted it to spiral to this particular swirl in the music. And, you know, it took us forever to get it right. And, and things like that, that a lot of people would never notice. But for me, it was like, it was imperative that it was like the last light was out by the last note. Um, so I think the, the new Christmas tree was definitely uh, one of my my favorite projects to work in. And I think, you know, the Christmas parade as well was fun. Um, it's always fun to work with the toy soldiers and, and, and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Christmas anyway. I am a Christmas person, so I would be very happy. You know, I would I'd get excited in those rehearsals <laughs> because it was like, oh, it's Christmas. Um, I think I think as well one one uh, one of the things that so I love Christmas as well right. um, but one of the best things I, I remember it was the last time because we don't always get it, the it's a small world celebration the, the small right. world Christmas yeah. version yeah and I remember it was the last it was, I think it was 2018 maybe I'm right. wrong anyway um, there was I remember I, I, I was kind of because with life and whatever you kind of get caught up and you're uh-huh. not really thinking about Christmas and and it was when I got off the attraction at Small World, uh, I have, it was the Christmas overlay. And then that's when I was like, okay, now it's, I'm ready for Christmas. This is right. it. This is it. Yeah. What was it like to, 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 like, it's such an iconic, I know it's one of my favorite attractions in any Disney park. Um, what was it like to, 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 to work on the fact that it's such an, an, an iconic attraction getting a Christmas overlay? What was that like? So a lot of the, the overlay for Small World was really done by the costuming team we didn't have an awful lot of direct impact um, on it, but all of the costumes were designed and made. And I know that the costuming team would spend, again, 
weeks of nights going in and you know redressing all of these dolls and and I remember seeing him seeing them in the workshop they would have the you know the small scale dolls in the workshop and making these beautiful costumes and I, I just remember thinking sometimes that the costumes were so stunning it almost seemed a waste that they were going on dolls you know <laughs> like um but that was a lot of the imagineering team um from the attraction side and also you know our costume designer team but again it's i think it's the it's the spirit of christmas you know it's the messaging of christmas it's the um you know that sharing of the the peace and love and 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 everybody being united and i think you know small world christmas on holiday celebration just reinforces the whole message of small world where it, you know it is the world coming together uh, and you know, today more than ever, we we need to remember that message. And so um, earlier on, we talked about High School Musical, but there is an even biggest movie phenomenon that you've worked on, and it was uh, quite a few summers ago now when you guys did Frozen Summer Fun, and uh, the Frozen Sing Along was, I think, already existed in a lot of the U.S. park. But I like to think, as a Paris fan, that we had the best version. Um, it was just a fantastic set and it was just really well done and Chaparral Theatre really came to life with Arundel. Um, could you tell us about, you know, creating uh, the season and specifically, specifically the sing-along show? Was it a lot of pressure and um, was it, was it yes. exciting? <laughs> uh, it was, it was, there certainly was quite a lot of pressure on that one because of the extent of popularity of the film. Um, you know, it was very protected. What we could do with the characters, what we could do with the content was very, very protected and understandably so. Um, what Disney World had done their sing-along show, um, I think Disneyland had done theirs around the same time as us, or maybe a little bit before. I, I had seen the Walt Disney World one, um, but it was a lot of talking. And I knew that that wouldn't work for our guests. Um, we did have the mandate to make it a sing-along. So, you know, our mandate was we need a frozen sing-along in the park. And we had quite a lot of interesting discussions because it was like, well, will our guests actually do a sing-along? Because traditionally our guests, you know, are not as interactive and, uh, you know, don't volunteer as easily to come out and dance around in the middle of the parade or come up on stage as the American guests would. So we actually did a test. We did a test in Videopolis one weekend um, where we had, you know, three screens and I had two MCs, uh, literally two of them. And we did a very kind of mini sing-along test and we invited um, kids groups and stuff. And we, we realized that, yes, there probably was potential and I think this could work. So that's when we, you know, we thought about, well, where do we do this? Videopolis didn't feel the right location for it. Chaparral, we had the rocks, um, which were left over from Tarzan. Yes. Um, and it was like, okay, so how can we transfer this into Arendelle and the frozen world? And how do we tie our sing-along with a little bit of story? Because again, you know, being Europe, just saying, hey, everybody, come on, let's sing some songs of Frozen. That's not what our guests you know, might have appreciated. Um, so we definitely wanted to create a little storyline to tie it all together. Um, and I have to say that we did an awful lot of presentations to 
convince um you know some of our leaders not necessarily the european leaders but the international leaders that this was the right way to go for our demographic um but we did we got full support um and the same thing with the costumes you know we had incredible costume designers and we took inspiration from the real european and scandinavian and norwegian costumes um as opposed to taking direct lifts from the film so we we interpreted and because we wanted the colors that we had and everything and again it, we went through a lot of presentation processes and approval processes to get there um but the result paid off and you know and i think honestly it's one of those shows that probably the appreciation from the guests and the impact that it had was far greater than any of my expectations you know i thought it was going to be good and i thought that people were going to enjoy it but i never that first day when we opened and we did the beach ball six section you know in summer and i was just looking at all of these guests like reaching for this ball and everybody's singing along and, and then at the end let it go all the kids doing the actions and i was like oh man you know i really had never expected i don't think any of us expected it to, to be the level of hit that it really was um so it was great and you know we managed to work around the languages doing english shows and french shows and then we had other languages on subtitles on the screens um you know and at the end of the day the kids could sing along in whatever language they wanted to it you know it was all the same um but just yeah putting it together I had an incredible choreographer um and it was it was a fun time it was a really fun time to put the show together as well the cast were incredible um and many of whom have stayed very very close we called it we call it the frozen family because they did they really created this family um and you know many of whom i'm still in touch with on a very frequent basis and have gone on to do you know incredible careers and things um so yeah frozen certainly has a place in my heart of being one of those shows that turned out you know way better than i had ever dreamed of and it was also it was also quite visually stunning because i think compared to some of the other versions we had this sort of retractable screen on right. top of that hill right. there was the smoke and the trees yeah. and all the snow yeah. everywhere and you could you could not recognize the chaparral theater no. from all the previous shows that were there before i think yeah. was this was this before or after forest of enchantment it was it was before it must have been before yeah yeah i think so um, it was, it was but that theater before. was just completely transformed and you had the mm -hmm. village outside and everything yeah. um were you were you nervous that like the French guests and the English guests and the Spanish guests like with with the language? I mean, you said you you chose so French and English with subtitles, but has this has this been sort of um like a general uh, not a worry, but um you know an element in your career, especially at Disneyland Paris, to have so many different cultures and languages? How do you think up a way for everyone to enjoy the show? Yes, it's it is difficult, um, especially when you really want to tell a story show. Um, you know, so, you know, Frozen, if I remember rightly, we had Spanish on the subtitles on the side. We talked about doing Spanish shows as well, but it was just logistically and casting wise that would have lay, added an extra layer of complication in the time that we had. Um, so we, I do believe we had the Spanish subtitles um, for all of the songs. When, when I was creating kind of story shows like that, you have to think about 
okay, can the story be understood if somebody doesn't understand what is being said? You know, so, so from a visual and direction and emotion and acting standpoint, can you understand the gist? You might not get every detail, but can you understand the gist of, of what's going on? And then from a language standpoint, the trial and the trick is always to read the script and just read the French and read the script and just read the English. And it's difficult because when you understand both languages, you automatically go, oh yeah, of course I understand it. I was like, no, put your English head on and you don't speak French today. Right? It's like, I've become a split personality. You don't speak French today, just speak English. And, you know, and read the whole script through the English. And it was like, okay, well, I don't understand that. And I don't understand that. So you rewrite it. And the same thing with the French. So, and then finding a way to blend the two so that you don't necessarily repeat everything because otherwise it gets a bit tedious. Um, you know, there's, there's just a knack to it. And I guess over the years, I really did develop kind of my own method uh, of being able to do that and hopefully keep the story understandable for everybody. Um, and, you know, and I maintain that it is important to have some vocal text in, in a majority of the shows. Um, I think we learned that with Annie Magique that it's difficult, you know, um, uh, Mickey and the Magician doesn't have a lot of, a lot of written text in it, but enough just to drive the story through. And talking about Mickey and the Magician, let's get into, I think, I mean, this is, uh, this is a show that is still, I think, the number one voted number one show by guest by I don't know you've won so many awards with that show <laughs> um and um it, it replaced Animagique um so you sort of like t took your you know your baby and replaced it with a new one right <laughs> um how um what was the uh so what was the the bill for for this show uh what was the idea it was quite it's quite different from Animagique um, yes so um, this show, we, we had, you know, been in discussion about doing a new show um, for the Walt Disney Studios. And at the time they had, um, Walt Disney Imagineering had produced Aladdin over in the Hyperion Theatre in California, um, which was a big, you know, Broadway style show. Um, Mickey and the Magical Map had been produced in California, which again was, you know, a little smaller on scale than Aladdin, but you know, bigger scale than we had done previously. And there was another there was another version of Mickey and the Magical Map, I believe, in Hong Kong. I think it was Hong Kong that did it that did it. So there was this trend um, towards you know these theatrical productions. And also one of our briefs was to really um, put Mickey into the spotlight. Um, Mickey had, you know, had been around and was in all the parades and everything, but we didn't have any kind of real live show with Mickey being the star and not just being a corporate icon type of star. You know, we had a company drive to really find Mickey's personality, you know, because when you look at the original short films of Mickey, he's a cheeky little thing, you know, he's not, he's not that you know, all good, you know, stand on the top of a letterhead, Mickey. He's, he's a cheeky, he's, he's everybody every day, can do everything, you know, sometimes gets it right, sometimes gets it wrong, and that's okay. So that was kind of our brief. Um, and 
I work with a writer from California um, and then our creative director who, you know, backed me up and, and guided me, Marilyn, who was from Walt Disney Imagineering. We worked together um, and, you know, flushed out a story. Um, we wanted a magician. We had a lot of inspiration from, um, you know, Hugo, the film Hugo. Um, you know, again, because of that kind of atmosphere and Georges Méliès, which was the French magician. Um, and again, we worked with a great team of consultants. So we had Paul Keefe, who was our magic consultant in London, who'd worked on the Harry Potter films. And, you know, he was involved in the creative process as well. So that we built this story, you know, about Mickey and what could he do in this magician's workshop and how did he get there and why was he there? And, you know, who was the magician and what was he teaching Mickey and, you know, what it should be the fairy godmother who teaches Mickey the, the final lesson, you know, so all of these kind of ideas and they just formulated and, and grew and grew. And, and I think at the beginning we were all a little concerned about, you know, sending Mickey as an apprentice because you know, we know that's been done and, you know, sending Mickey to clean a, a magician's workshop. And, but then we kind of talked ourselves through it and it's like, well, actually, you know, Mickey wants to learn. So you know, the magician will help him learn, providing, you know, Mickey does some chores for him. Um, so that's kind of where it all grew from. And then, you know, as Mickey knocks things over and uncovers things that he shouldn't, then all these magical surprises happen. And each one of them, we wanted Mickey to learn something. Um, and obviously, if Mickey learns something, then we learn something. So it was a little journey throughout as well. And then, you know, the fairy godmother pulls it all together for us in the end, um, you know, and let, let, our, let our own magic shine. And, and how, how did you choose, you know, which stories were going to be featured on the show? Was it just based on popularity with guests or just uh, your personal preference of the creative teams? We, we had um, a list of the most popular Um, films for the European audience for our guests um, and also weighing up what else we had in the park for those those particular films um, you know the music to them some of the films could be very popular but might not have any musical numbers that are really suitable for producing on stage so it was kind of a mix of everything um, and then also the flow of the show you know it was it was we didn't want to have every single number being you know a big Broadway dance number because you don't go anywhere in the show. Frozen, you know, it was kind of, well, it was still very popular. We had thought, well, we've just done a big Frozen show. Do we need to put it back in? But it's like, well, yes, you have to have, you know, you have to have, let it go. Um, Lion King was the same. You know, we quit, we created ourselves over Lion King because we had done so much Lion King in the park. But again, it's one of those, those scenes that if you ask a guest what they want to see on stage, it's, you know, circle of life. So, We, we relied on a lot of research, um, but also like the musical content of what would flow together and what would, what would help drive our story along as well, what would, what would keep our message going. With Animagic, you, you innovated with the puppets, but with Mickey and the Magician, you innovated with magic tricks. And some of those tricks are pretty incredible. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to obviously ask you to reveal anything, but I, I don't know if I speak for everyone, but I, I still don't know how some of those work. The box. Um, how the box. did they do the box? I <laughs> the box. I, I, 
I stay up at night and I'm like, well, maybe there's like a lift and they just slide somebody no. in. And I, I, one time I actually made sure I sat in the front row way off to the side. So I'm like, what's happening behind the box? I need no. to see. And I can't see Anne. So, Good. No. Yeah, it's yeah, magic. Yeah. That's what it is. It's so magic. I, I, I've literally just accepted that as magic. So. <laughs> and so, so you've worked with, you know, magicians. How was it trying to integrate these incredible tricks into the show and you know especially because the show is performed so many times a day it has to work every time so it must have been a lot of work how was it working with the magicians it was brilliant um and again you know paul keith who was our our magician consultant he and i hit it off he he's based in london and we hit it off creatively and you know from a, a personal friendship standpoint immediately um and he you know, he, he loves Disney. He was so excited to work with Mickey and the characters. And um, we we worked through things together. You know, uh, he quickly understood from the technical teams all of the reset and all of the, you know, uh, technical restrictions that we had through multiple shows, what products we could and couldn't use. Um, he worked very closely with Scott, who was our scenic designer, to integrate you know, any of the mechanics needed into the actual scenery. So, you know, everything was was really seamless. Um, and then we tried. I mean, we he worked with a workshop in London um, who's a props maker and um, has a very, you know, traditional props workshop in, in London. And we would go and we would play with things and we would test things out. And I mean, you know, I was a stand-in Mickey for... You know many many of the 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 magic tricks and you know a stand-in fairy godmother and and we would try things that was like no that won't work yes that will no the shape of that's wrong and it's like it was a trial and error basis because all of those some of the the effects were adapted from you know traditional magic tricks but a lot of them were actually created for the show um so it was it was an incredible process and again i had never really worked with magic before so it was another learning curve for me. It was like, oh, this is this is fun. I get to play with something different, um, you know, and I learned how to make a hat levitate. And I will not tell you how it's done. But, um, you know, and the cube is one thing. Same thing. The first time I saw the cube, I was like, how? How? And that was in a studio. That was in a rehearsal studio. So, um, yeah, it, it's a... Uh, that I mean the whole putting that whole show together was was a blast I I don't remember having you know even when you get the stress days where it's like oh my goodness you know the scenery doesn't fit you know exactly to the centimeter or you know we're running a little bit late in the theater you have to stay two more days in the rehearsal studio you get those stress points you know at certain points in all productions and even with that I don't remember having you know a bad moment on that show it was it was just everybody was so together um and that's from the technical and the creative and the 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 operations and the cast and it was it was quite a journey and it was quite a task you know we had a lot of new new elements and things in there a lot of new lighting um projections there were a lot of a lot of moving parts again but the magic was fun, and uh, and then you know teaching the cast to do the magic. We had we were very good. We put screens up all over the studio, so anybody outside of the the team was not was not allowed into the studio. Whereas traditionally in our rehearsal studios, you know, it's where the entertainment you know team come back and forwards from parades and things. So 
because invariably people popping their head into the rehearsal studio and stuff it was like no not allowed in <laughs> this is this is top secret um so we did we kept we kept the magic it was the start the of the it was the start of the Disneyland Paris love affair with tap as well Yeah, yes. it's now everywhere which is great yes well that, that's another story that that is a personal mission of mine um because you know before i started working working for disney i did 42nd street for two two and a half years which is the you know the biggest tap show basically that there is so tap was my thing and i was always very disappointed that in none of our shows did we have tap uh now there's a valid reason for that because a lot of people in france don't tap um more so now but in those days people didn't learn how to tap dance so when i and i fought i have to say i fought to keep tap in the show i really did um but when we did we realized that we would have to teach some of the french how to tap um and then cast you know from maybe we cast in spain and we cast in london i think as well uh but yeah and then tap became the thing But it's a happy, you know, it's a, it's a very happy form of dance. I don't, you, you, you can't watch tap dancing without smiling. You know, that's my philosophy anyway. And it was, there was also even another extra element of technical element was that um, Mickey was a little bit more animated than usual. Right. And was able to be extra expressive with guests. Yeah. And that was yeah. also, I think, the first time at Disney Paris yes. that we... Yep. That we had sort of a permanent this permanent yeah. offering for Mickey, yeah. so that must have been was that also an extra layer of absolutely, preparation and programming into the show? Absolutely, completely. Um, you know, and another learning curve, and and mechanically, um, you know, from a, a a setup standpoint, you know, we had to make sure that we had everything in place to be able to welcome, you know. Mickey, Mickey being able to really animate, as you say, and speak to us. And so it was, uh, it was definitely another layer, um, a layer that kind of channeled on. I honestly didn't get too involved in it. I was much more involved with just like Mickey being in front of me on stage. And they had, a, we had a team and we had a team that came over from, from Florida, I believe that were specialists. Um, so they came and trained our team on everything that they needed to know. But yeah, well, seems normal results. to me now. It's like, oh yes, that was the first time. <laughs> yeah, the results in the result in the end, I think, uh, is works so well together, and uh, guests still love it. And we can't wait to see it again. You know, obviously after this yeah. whole mess yeah. has ended. But uh, during you know last summer, we all got to walk on the stage <laughs> of ah. the magician because of the selfie spots and right. that was such yeah, a, yeah, yeah. you know in the middle of all this yeah. all those this mess um it was such a lovely moment i think every fan of the show really appreciated to be able to yeah. step on the stage and yeah. get close to Cinderella's carriage and see Mickey right, right there in front of us yeah. just be on stage yeah. Um, yeah. So it was. I think they're they're going to come back again when, yeah. when the resort reopens in summer. So yeah. we'll get to do it again. But it was such a cute idea to mm -hmm. let us on the stage and be closer to the set. Yeah. I think a lot of fans as well really appreciated having a picture with magician Mickey. I think that right. everybody it's loved true. that as an idea. Mm, that's true. It's it's so popular. It's such a popular show with fans and with guests. I was there any point when you were working on. The, the, before the show came out for the first time was there a point where you're like okay yeah this is going to be like sensational or really good or was there 
because you said about like guests and I know there's a lot of interactive elements like when like we're clapping and applauding and I know that's not really a thing that happens in France very much mm-hmm. was was there a point where you're like okay yeah this is it we have it or was it about um I I don't think we realized it necessarily before we opened and I think that it's difficult because you get so involved and so into it and especially with such a story show that you know had been a part of my life for you know two years or whatever um that there were always things that I could have improved there were always things that could be better there was always things that I go oh did I make the right choice there you know should we have done this or should we have done that so there was always a little bit of self-doubt I think um and then you know when we saw the audience reaction it, it was it, it was very heartwarming and kind of well wow this this does work and I again I'm not sure that I really anticipated the level of popularity that the show would have um you know and then when we won the IAPA award I was like whoa <laughs> Disneyland Paris is up there you know <laughs> with the other parks and I think that we had we'd been growing and I I think and I think we had started to see it with Frozen as well you know the the level of quality and artistic um artistic creation and and depth I would say because I think that the European audiences again really prefer and and expect something that's a little bit deeper you know, and I think that we've had a lot of conversations with, you know, directors in Paris and artists in Paris. And it was like, oh, it's Disney. You know, it's like theme park. But then when you actually when they come and work for us or they come and see the shows, I go, oh, it's a real show. I was like, well, yes, it's a real show. You know, so I think that definitely um, we made the right decisions and seeing the reaction from the guests. But I would never have imagined that it would become, you know, the, the iconic popular show that it, that it is. And it's wonderful, you know, it makes me, it makes me very proud. It makes me very happy to have been part of it. So, I think a lot of resorts envy us for having that show. There was even rumors at some point they was going to come to Magic Kingdom for yes, that new theater was. that they were planning and all this. Yeah. And then the theater goes crapped and I don't know yeah. where all that went. But yeah, it was, it went to that level of like, you know, when mm-hmm. the, when the U.S. parks want to borrow something from us, you're like, okay, I guess we're right. doing good. <laughs> Right, exactly. And, and you know, uh, the Frozen show that we did is generally the base of inspiration for the Shanghai Frozen show. So again, they were actually going to do something completely different in that theatre in Shanghai. Um, and then they decided to go Frozen. And out of all of the versions around the world, they chose ours to you know to base their their show off so yeah it's i've seen it it's pretty it's, good it's, it's, it's really good it's and, and they really right. adapted it and it's it's perfect it's really yeah. i when it's i awesome. when i saw it i was like oh i feel like i'm i, I know this i know That's awesome. like, like it was like the whole point you were making about language and the fact yeah. that i don't speak any word of mandarin or Cantonese right. or whatever uh-huh. but i was singing it in english so yeah. you know because yeah. i knew what uh, was happening awesome. That's awesome. Because we all know those songs so well. <laughs> yes. And so talking about Shanghai, um, for the uh, 25th anniversary, Disney Dreams was replaced by Disney Eliminations. And I think you've also worked on adapting uh, the show from Shanghai. Is So um, this was a different experience, obviously, from Disney Dreams, where you started with nothing. There was nothing before Disney Dreams. So you were sort of like right. the very first team to create something like this but obviously in the five years running to Disney eliminations 
a lot of the other resorts basically copy us. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and so um, for the 25th, it was, um, so was Illumination a co-production with Shanghai or did you just adapt it to Paris? Did you work with the Shanghai team? How did it all work out? So it was, uh, Illuminations was adapted from the Shanghai show, which was created by Steve Davidson and the Imagineering team. So the actual Shanghai original show was created by most of the creators who had worked on Disney Dreams. So it was the same team. Um, and we, you know, we switched in some scenes, we adapted languages you know, and everything to then reprogram. Um, and the biggest difference was that our castle is a very different shape to Shanghai. So there was a lot of graphic and video um, composition that needs to be readjusted. Um, but yeah, it, it was, you know, fundamentally the story and everything that was created was created by basically the same team that created Dreams. So, And do, do you think the story is more, because uh, Shanghai Disneyland, Shanghai guests are brand new to the Disney brand. And it felt at the time, I think, in the fan community, a lot of people were saying, well, here we have Disney Illumination, which seems like more of a presentation of all the IPs and brands that Disney owns right. that would be more fitted for a Shanghai audience. And that here in Europe, we were kind of like basically disappointed that we weren't getting something as romantic as Disney dreams. Do you think yeah. that? And I think there's a, certainly for Shanghai, it was an introduce, introduction into, you know, into the world of Disney. Um, I think from a Disneyland Paris standpoint, it was also a, a choice uh, to maybe introduce some of the newer you know, films and characters um, that the idea was to kind of move us forward um, with a different style and a different look and feel and different content. Um, But it comes back to what our European guests are looking for, you know? And I think that, again, Disney Illuminations was definitely not that poetic story that Disney Dreams had. you know, both of them are great. It's like, which is the best one for our park? Yeah. And so, well, maybe we'll get a new one for the 30th, but <laughs> you no, know, no one, no one seems to know. Um, so um, you've also worked in a lot of resorts around the world. And so it was really hard for me to research where you work because <laughs> there's actually not a lot. It's, it's much harder right. to find information on everything uh-huh. you've done. So could you yeah. tell us a little bit about yes. where you've been all around the world with Disney? Oh my um, in a well, nutshell. <laughs> I, I, yes, I worked um, over here at the, um, at the Studios Park for uh, Lightning McQueen in Motor Action, Stunt Show Spectacular. That was many, many years ago now. We worked with uh, the team over here and we, we made that Lightning McQueen sequence in the stunt show with a, with a hydraulic Lightning McQueen who spoke and he moved and he had eyes. And that was Again, you know, something I've never done. I'm going to program oh, cool. a car. I'm like, okay, make a car talk. Okay. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, and then over here as well, what is the world? I did celebrate the magic. Um, and we did four versions of that. And that was another example of having seasonal shows. Uh, we built all the shows more or less at the same time. Um, so we did a, we had a Halloween version. We had a, a standard version. Um, we had a uh, summer version. Or well, we had a, a Valentine's version, I think, and a Christmas version. Um, so that was incredible. You know, again, more castle, different castle, different lights, different, you know, 
environments, different challenges. Um, I remember going over to the side of Cinderella Castle and like watching the show from the side with my designer and just hearing these frogs, these like massive bullfrogs coming from the, 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 the kind of side of the moat by the castle. It was like, wow, you don't get that in Paris. Um, so that was here. And then California, I never pro produced anything, but I worked a lot over there with the teams in Imagineering and, and um, the Disney creative entertainment teams. And then I worked in Hong Kong. So I did uh, the year 2008, I worked for Hong Kong Disneyland, uh, creating their Olympics kind of happening and show. So same thing, very similar to high school. And I think it must've been just after high school musical. We had a float a mobile stage that we rethemed into a kind of an Olympics theme. And um, we had an interactive show with the characters where Goofy did weightlifting, Minnie did rhythmic gymnastics, um, Chip and Dale did like a volleyball game with the kids. We got the kids up to play. Um, I can't remember what Mickey did now. Maybe he was just like the, the overall sportsman, but it was fun. And again, it was very interactive with, with the kids. And, you know, the Hong Kong guests at the time, they weren't sure that they would interact because, you know, traditionally in Tokyo, the guests like to dance, but they stay in their spot and they dance as opposed to really kind of coming out and making an exhibition of themselves. So we weren't sure whether the, the um, Hong Kong children would participate, but they did. So we did that and it was like a mini parade that went with it. And then every day we would have a sequence. We must have had screens, it's a long time ago. We had screens. I think we, we paired up with a local TV company and we had like the highlights of the day. Um, and then we did a live TV show um, that was broadcast from the park for the, the Hong Kong TV8 TV uh, company that had the rights to the opening of the games. And then sort of through every commercial break that they would have in, in mainland China, we would have a segment from the park. So we had cast members coming out, all the cast members together. We had different segments and it was all live. Um, so that was 2008. And then I worked in Tokyo to do, hmm, another projection show, and I can't remember which one that was now. Um, Once Upon a Time, that's right. And that was again with Steven and the team. So it was Once Upon a Time in Tokyo Disneyland. Which has moved um, to Magic Kingdom for a little bit at some point. Because I've seen right, it in Magic yes, Kingdom. Yes, that's right, a version of it was in the early did. evening yeah, a version before of it did. Happily Ever After. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then, and also uh, I had been, like switching back to Hong Kong, I'd also spent some time in Hong Kong working with the Stitch Live team because they were the first park to have Stitch Live before we brought it to Paris as well. Um, and then the last thing I did internationally was with Shanghai Disney. So I worked with Disney Imagineering in Glendale um, and basically was the overall show director for all of the atmosphere talent for Main Street and Fantasyland. So the marching band, uh, the Mickey meet and greet, uh, the Mickey meet and greet inside, um, the uh, Fantasyland players where we had like storytelling, we did a Beauty and the Beast show and yeah. So they were all my shows. Unfortunately, I didn't get out to China, you know, for uh, a couple of particular reasons, but 
um but i workshopped them and got as far as basically as the first day of rehearsals and then it would kind of clash with mickey the magician so i couldn't it's like what do you do i want to do it all but i can't be in china and in the Walt disney studios park at the same time so um but you yeah. can see patrick light up because patrick has been to shanghai right and yeah. loved it yeah. i think <laughs> yeah it was, like, it was great and i'm just thinking about what like because i remember that that beauty the bell and she's standing by the 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 I think it's like a well or something and she's yeah. like yeah, she's, yeah. Reading the, she's reading her story yeah. book or whatever yeah I, I I didn't really know what was going on I still watched it it was great right. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just ads because you're kind of and it was one of those things that I kind of just discovered as well like you're kind of walking through uh-huh. this corner of fantasy land and oh there's yeah. Belle and yeah. I think Gaston comes at one point and I'm like yeah. okay absolutely and I walk and I'm like, okay, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah and we did fantastic. that we did a Tai Chi with Chip and Dale as well. So they did. They used to do a little Tai Chi show in front of the in the the gardens in front of the castle in the mornings. And the marching band, you know, we wanted them to be different. I remember the designer when they came in with the, the fabric that they printed for the band in Shanghai. It was so cool. It was all you know, Mickey Mickey head shapes, but in different colors. And uh, it was it was really really fun. And all mix and match. So they all had different waistcoats to pants to jackets to shirt. You know so much fun um and i did the casting for that you know again huge learning curve and especially you know with the chinese who you know traditionally a little bit more reserved and you know trying to find those personalities that you knew could do the storytelling for bell that could do um you know a marching band who were a little bit different more like a jazz a jazz band with a bit of a wackiness thrown in there and so lots of fun amazing so Disney took you really around the world uh, and um, you have since left Disney yes. uh, for a different kind of entertainment. Can you tell us mm-hmm. about what, you're, what you've been doing since then? Yeah, so I mean, I, I had got to the point where, as you say, I had done so much with Disney um, and it was like, well, what, what do I do now? Uh, and, and honestly, my, you know, my dream for many years since I was that 15 year old that wanted to work for Disney, always wanted to come and work in Florida. So, you know, and I was lucky I worked at the parks here, as you say, I worked all over the world. Um, and I had an opportunity, somebody offered me a position with Carnival Corporation. Um, and I accepted it and moved over to, to Miami. Uh, and now I'm so I'm creative director of live experiences for uh, a department in Carnival Corporation um, who are very much almost kind of the Imagineering department, if you like. We're working a lot on a lot of research and development for new products, new experiences. Um, <clears throat> we've been working with a company called Princess Cruises um, with their ships that sail out. And there's a, uh, a new kind of experience, <clears throat> excuse me, level that, that goes over called Medallion Class. And within the medallion class, there's a lot of digital experiences. So we've been developing a lot of digital, um, you know, software and everything. That that's not my not my domain. Um, <clears throat> and then some live experiences as well. So that's what I've been doing. And funnily enough, you know, one of the one of the projects that I put on the ship is a character, uh, not a not a, a furry character, but she's a she's a real life character. Um, and uh, She's called Fortuna Luck. So it's kind of been fun. I've tried to mix the both worlds, but it's been great because again, I get to travel and and I'm learning about the cruise industry. 
um, you know, another area where I think there is huge scope for entertainment. Um, and whether that's, you know, blending digital and live, whether it's live, whether it's theater, whether it's outdoors, you know, what is that experience that we can give our guests? And ultimately, you know, it's still the same. My mantra is still the same. You know, offering something that will bring people joy, entertain them, engage them, help them, you know, forget everything else in life for however long. Um, and hopefully, you know, leave leave guests with wonderful memories. That's amazing. So you get you get to do more uh, different things to create your own ideas and basically to just innovate about, about right. those cruise ships. Yeah. That's and some of it, some of it may never happen, you know, <laughs> some right. of it might just stay on my notepad. Um, but that's what's incredible that, you know, I can let my imagination run away a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I'm sure you've you followed the uh, Disney Wish unveiling from Disney yes. last yeah. week, this week, yeah. last week, last week uh, yeah. and they've they're also sort of Stunning. really stepping up yeah. their game with the experiences mm -hmm. and bringing all their IPs into the yeah. new ships and just yeah. having all those new experiences, trying to get you know yeah. people to experience the product in yeah. all new different ways. So uh, I think, like you said, it's definitely a huge market in the. I think the so, market. and I think that you know, the cruise market has gone through you know uh, an evolution from traditionally you know sailing to destinations to then the ship becoming the destination with you know almost like a theme park on the ship um to the fine dining and the spa side of thing and I think now it's come back down to the overall experience and really being able to offer something for everybody um and I think it's interesting because I do think that each of the cruise brands have their niche market you know, and, and I think that they are quite specific. So there is something out there on the market for everybody. But I do think that there's a lot of there's a lot of scope of things that haven't been done on ships. Um, and, and it's very similar to a theme park because the operations are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, you have your turnaround, but you you still have a lot of operating, you know, um, challenges. So you have to take them into mind when you're creating shows um and entertainment so yeah and i think it's it's definitely a world that intrigues me i i just like a challenge you know i <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I like to look look for for a new challenge that i can learn from because uh, i think that's that's an exciting part of life absolutely well here in the uk we're about to embark on a disney magic going nowhere this summer so right yes uh, and <laughs> i think we're all be, as super there will excited be many ships so <laughs> I, a lot, I yeah I have a joke. I have a joke with my family in the UK saying that, you know, all of the ships coming out of Southampton, there's just going to be a queue going around the Isle of Wight. It's just going to be circling the Isle of Wight, you know, one ship after the other. It's like a little train of cruise ships going around. I've never been I've never been on a cruise ship, so I'm excited to go for a oh, couple yes. nights and just, you know, I mean it happens to be a Disney cruise ship, which is of like course. double course. double whammy <laughs> for me. <laughs> but, Perfect. But Perfect. I'm also super uh, I what I like the most about Disney parks is the operational side of things and how everything happens. So I'm really intrigued to see how yeah. cruise ships work and just yeah. actually be on one. So I am sure, sure it will be seamless. It will be very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us today. You're very uh, welcome. And, you know, thank you so much for everything you've created for us uh, <laughs> guests from, you know, from Beauty and the Beast to 
literally Beauty and the Beast in a different show uh, <laughs> yeah. and everything in yeah. between, you know, um, yeah. you, you've been part of so many unforgettable memories, I think, for fans, for guests mm. um, and, you know, for the whole of Disney Paris Entertainment. When we discuss our favorite shows, I mean, you've been part of all of them. So uh, good. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for being with us tonight. And um, it's been and- a real pleasure. It's been it's been really really lovely to revisit those memories and those times and you know and I still get very excited about them because you know they are each one of those shows was you know was my baby you you really do go through that process and uh, and to know that they have brought so much pleasure to people over the years and still do is is the most fulfilling thing that I could ask for and we and we love to hear asking me we love to hear, you know, the creative process and all the behind yeah, the scenes yeah. and all that, you know. I mean, you've, you've obviously been on the forum, so you know, you yes. know how the fans yes. are. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. thank you so much. And, you know, all the best for thank your you. new adventure and, you know, going, getting back into things with the cruise industry, which yeah. hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get back on track as soon yes. as possible. Yes, that's right. Uh, so thank all you right. very much. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, guys. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah.